Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. church. It's been good to be in God's presence, be in one another's presence, uh, and to sing and share in communion together. This morning we are transitioning, or about to transition into next week, where we'll continue in the Gospel of Luke with the message of what the good news of Luke is all about that Jesus will share. But over the last few weeks, we've focused on Christmas and the Advent season, the coming of Jesus, and, and we've also looked at the beginnings of his ministry. And up to this point, Jesus has really been preparing for his ministry. And what we saw last week is he's baptized and he finds his identity in Jesus. And that identity shapes him as he enters into the wilderness. As he's tempted by the devil, he's able to say no, where so many had chosen to say yes. Where Adam, as the first human, obviously makes that choice. And so he's able to say this no, and, and, and it shows that Jesus is the true son of God, that he's defeated evil in his own life. And now he's ready with the blessing of God to enter into his ministry, to call out evil where it is, and to challenge it. But what's interesting is the first place where Jesus goes in order to defeat evil. First place he goes is church. <laughs> I'll say more about that in a bit. Let's pray as we open God's word this morning. God, we come here this morning with all kinds of insecurities and fears, all kinds of anxieties, and all kinds of joys, God, and, and, and assurance and confidence. And in the mix of all of those things, we enter into this time submitting again to your word and to the story that you've shared so many times before that has reminded us of who we are. We are yours. We are your children. And this morning, I pray that you would remind us again through this story that Luke writes so well that you've inspired who we are and how we're to live in this world and the good news that we are to bring to others as well. I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Every job has its hazards. Some jobs are more dangerous physically. Some more emotionally. Some jobs are more hazardous spiritually and others relationally. And most of us enter into our jobs with a vision about how things will be, about how we imagine things will go and the blessings of those professions. Uh, what we come to see is there are also downsides to every line of work. Every job has its ups and its downs. That's even true in my line of work. I, I love what I do. It's such an honor uh, to be able to go to scripture on our behalf and to present a word on behalf uh, of God. And, and I ask and pray every week that that will be his word and not mine. It's a privilege to get to walk with you in the joys of your life, to get to celebrate with you, but also to walk into the deep griefs. Uh, that we walk through in all of our lives. That's the journey and the joy that I have. And, and just like you, there are days when I go home to my wife, to, to my spouse, and, 
And I say to Holly, I can't imagine doing any other thing. This has been a, a day that confirms my calling. But like all of us, there are days when I go home and I, I daydream about my next career. <laughs> As we all do when we pursue a career, I walked in blind to the challenges and the dangers. And I've never received as much encouragement about being a preacher as those early days when I decided that's what I would do. I'll tell you what, people encourage me to no end. Everyone loves a young preacher. People will lie to young preachers in order to encourage them about what they're looking to do. And if you don't believe me, let me send you files of my early sermons and you'll see that people lied about how good they were. They were terrible. People told me it was the best thing they'd ever heard. No one does that to an 18-year-old who works at Chili's who messes up their order, right? And I think there's a reason for that kind of encouragement. Uh, Every generation of the church lives with a latent fear within us. We don't always talk about it, and often we don't acknowledge it, but it's the fear that this gospel, this deposit, this church that's been passed down through the generations might end on our watch. We live with a fear that we won't effectively pass on faith to the next generation. And for all the good-natured abuse that uh, generations before us love to give to millennials, of which I admit I am one of, in the midst of blaming millennials maybe for the nuns that are rising, all these people who aren't going to church, there's this obvious concern within us, I think, that maybe it's our fault that we didn't pass it on well. Maybe it's our fault that we didn't pass on duty in some way, and we want to see it passed on. And this anxiety about passing on our faith has been there for every generation since the beginning of the church. It's not bad anxiety. It's good anxiety. It's not distress. It's you stress. It's good stress. No one wants to be the weak link in a chain that's gone on for 2,000 years. Am I right? We want the church to thrive. And while the baton pass is always a bit precarious, God is faithful to ensure it continues to happen. And deep down, that's why we all lie to young preachers. Because young preachers, no matter how bad they are initially at preaching, give us hope that maybe the church will have a future. And I'll assure you of this, as much as it bothers me that I've been lied to as many times as I have about how good the preaching was, I promise to lie to the next generation as well, okay? In our passage today in Luke 4, if you have your Bible, feel free to open there. We have a, a dynamic at work, this dynamic I've described in Jesus' ministry. So I want to read from Luke 4, verses 14 and following. Listen to these words. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread uh, through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. Jesus starts his ministry in Galilee, and the crowds love his preaching, as they do with all young preachers. And then he returns to his hometown of Nazareth and things take a turn because at the end of this passage, they're not nearly as thrilled about Jesus and his preaching. Listen to the end of this section, verses 28 and following. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. (laughs) Jesus finds out the hazards of his job in his first sermon. I at least got a little more grace than that. It doesn't take long for people to move from lying to you about how wonderful your sermons are to wanting you dead. Something happened, though, between these bookends of this passage. And I want to discover this morning what exactly set these people off. And here's why. Because I think if Jesus were to show up in the same way today in 2019 in Allen, Texas, 
we would be susceptible to responding in a similar way if he preached the same sermon. So what sets Jesus' crowd off in this encounter? Let's read on. Let's check it out. But before I get to the content of Jesus' message, let me set the context. In order to put ourselves in that synagogue in Nazareth with Jesus and the crowd, I want you to remember back to a vivid memory in your mind, okay? A memory of of maybe your childhood, a moment where you felt extremely comforted and safe. Perhaps this was a memory at a grandparent's house where your grandparent uh, rubbed your hair and had his or her arm around you. Or maybe it was a memory of a parent. And I acknowledge this morning as I bring these memories, I know some of us this is harder to conjure up because some of us grew up in families where comfort wasn't easy to remember. But as best you can, with whoever it is you can go back to, I want you to remember a moment of that safety and comfort. For me, that memory comes in church. Most of my memories come from church because I was the preacher's kid. Uh, and as I was thinking back these last couple of weeks about uh, this story, I remembered being a, a preacher's kid. And I remember being there maybe a Sunday night in church. I remember where, exactly where I was sitting. It's right where Todd is right here, actually. It was in the second row on the right side in our A-framed building in La Mesa, California. It was La Mesa Church of Christ. My dad was preaching on stage. I don't remember a word he said that day. I'm sure it was wonderful. But I do remember this. I remember laying in my mother's lap with my body uh, that was laid out on the pew. Maybe I was worn out from the coloring that I'd done that my mom had busied me with, so I wouldn't tell dad how boring his sermon was. And I was laying there, and I remember looking up at the roof, and I remember the wood slats on the roof. I remember them uh, to a T. I also remember the, the lights that were hanging down. There were specific symbols that were carved into the lights and fixtures that hang down from the scene. I remember that. I also remember as I looked to the stage, not my dad, but I remember the wall behind him. It was this rock wall that kind of rose up step by step, and there were mortar between the stones that made up that wall. It was a 1960s decor in the middle of the 1990s as I was growing up. I remember the banners that hung around that worship center. There are these felt banners that we would have. Every year, we would have a new one. Uh, all that time while my dad was preaching there, each year would have the, the, the year on the top, and it would have the, uh, the, the, the focus or the vision for that year. And on those banners, we would have felt uh, pieces. This was a small church, and so we commemorated anything and everything. If somebody got an Eagle Scout, we would put that up on the banner. If somebody was baptized, we'd put that up on the banner. I, I still remember my grandfather's on that banner as he was baptized much later in life in that same church. I I remember going up and being reminded of that. I, I remember uh, every birth that happened, every uh, shower that was thrown, every, every retreat that we had. There was a commemoration of that on these banners. I remember that building well. I knew it better than anyone else. I was the best at hide and seek because I spent so much time in it. And as I, step up, as I think back to Jesus, I'm imagining him stepping up to this stage in a place he'd known quite well. He'd grown up in this church after all. This was the building where he'd learned about God. This was the building where he played hide and seek. This was the building where he'd laid in Mary's lap. This was the building where those older saints had pinched his cheeks and told him how uh, big he was getting. This building was filled with historical reminders of his childhood. But after this sermon, there's no indication that Jesus ever entered these doors again. Here's what happened. Luke 4, verse 16 and following. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. 
The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? He goes home to the people that he'd grown up with. And he's handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he could have gone a lot of places in Isaiah. Isaiah is a multifaceted book with all kinds of messages throughout it. But he turns, he, he goes straight to Isaiah 61. It's a passage about the Messiah, the restoration of Israel, the restoration of God's people. That's something these people have been waiting on for centuries. It's all they talked about. It's what they hoped for. And Jesus finishes the passage. He rolls up the scroll and he says, like a boss, <laughs> today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Like, imagine the audacity of this. And the crowd goes wild. They love it. They're a big fans of this. This is exactly what they were hoping for. And if I were Jesus preaching, teaching, uh, preacher, if I were Jesus professor of preaching, let me put it that way, I would say, put the mic down and be done with it. The crowd's just fine with you at this point but he doesn't shut his mouth. He keeps talking. He goes on and listen to what he says, because it doesn't go quite as well. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote the proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown, what you've heard, uh, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. And they don't like that part near as much as the first. Jesus is reminding them of a consistent message of God that they have continued to forget Israel over the years. God never blessed Israel because they were special. God never blessed Israel so that they could hoard the blessings that God had given to them. God blessed Israel so they could be a blessing to all nations on earth. God's blessing was on Israel so that they could bless all the other tribes. This is not a new message. This is the original message. This is the gospel found all the way in the Hebrew scriptures. And we, we don't like this message. Because we tend to want a God who blesses ours and us. We want a God who meets our needs. We want to know that they are on the outside and, and we're on the inside when the lines are drawn. We don't like this message. And Luke is going to make sure that we hear this message, not just here, but throughout the gospel. This is just the starting point. This isn't an outlier message in the gospel of Luke. You're going to hear this again and again when we come to February and March. What was the original good news? What was the original message that Jesus reminds the people of that nearly gets them killed? Well, it all goes back to Genesis chapter 12. Conversation with God and, and a man named Abram. So let's go back there. Keep your finger there in Luke 4. We'll come back there. But Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I've read this verse plenty of times because I think it is the, the Hebrew Scriptures gospel. I think it's the promise of what's to come that we often forget. It says here in Genesis 12, The Lord said, had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You're blessed to be a blessing, God says. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this story is significant because it comes on the heels of another story in chapter 11. And in chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel, where tribes are differentiated. They're given different language. They're confused. And, and they walk into these different tribal negotiations. And, and the tribes, they, what do tribes do? They naturally take care of themselves. 
They exist to secure the people within the tribe, inside the line, us, not them. They exist for their own well-being and preservation. And God is doing something new in Genesis 12. And we've been struggling for thousands of years to catch up to what he's doing. And what is the new thing God is doing? This tribe, the one that Abram would lead, the one that would eventually be as numerous as the stars in the sky would be different. This tribe would exist to bless all the other tribes on earth. This was a brand new idea. And as this tribe of Abrams grew, they carried with them the sense of calling, the sense that they were different, that they had a unique role to play in the world. They were going to be a blessing to all the other tribes. In our world, we are obsessed with us, them, thinking. It's vital for us to define who is in and who's out. And every time we draw the line, we're always on the inside. Let's be real. And that's vital for our security, for a sense of who we are and identity. But in Genesis 12, God is destroying the line between us and them, or at least he promises to. God's blessing isn't intended for us alone. God's blessing is ultimately designed for every person of every tribe. And that is a revolutionary idea that we still struggle to make room for. In the book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters are wrapped up in describing and giving them a reason for why they've been in exile. It's describing how they ended up where they're at. Why has God punished us and left us in exile? And the reason was that they forgot who they were made to be. But by the time that they come to Jesus time, they don't need the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. (laughs) They know that story. They know why they were in exile. Now they need words of hope, words for the future. So in Isaiah 40, everything changes. But God promises a day when everything will be different, when God will bring them back to ex- from exile to uh, make a difference in the world again. Comfort is what he brings in chapter 40. And according to Isaiah, when God restored his people, it was going to be about more than just them. It was going to be about the entire world. Listen to these words in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. Powerful words of reminder about the mission and calling for Israel in the future. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. When Jesus takes the scroll and he turns to Isaiah 61, he's saying the day Isaiah promised is here. Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, freedom for those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everyone in the synagogue that day was just fine with all that. They were thrilled until Jesus clarified what he meant. Isaiah wasn't promising a Messiah who would come in and deliver Israel from the evil Romans. Israel's promise was not a word of hope for us and a word of condemnation for them. As Jesus reminds them in Luke 4, 24 through 27, this good news is for us and them. The implications are always that way. They're for us inside the line and those that we tend to draw outside the line. And then he takes them to two passages, two stories that they would have known quite well in their past. It's the dangerous part of the sermon. He reminds them, and he says, you've read 1 Kings 17? Israel was experiencing a drought and a famine, and so the prophet Elijah goes to another nation, specifically the nation of Sidon. Now, Sidon was named after the son of Canaan. It was the land of the Canaanites. So Elijah's in the land of the Canaanites, which is kind of like saying he's in the land of the Russians, the North Koreans. All right, for you football fans, the Eagles and the Redskins. Elijah's in enemy territory. 
But Elijah doesn't go to start a war. He goes to find shelter. And this widow says, yeah, come on in. I'll give you shelter. And so she takes the enemy in and cares for him. And God uses Elijah to bless her as well. Her son uh, is sick and he dies. And Elijah is able to bring this boy back to life. And God uses Elijah to bless this widow. And when widow's son uh, comes back to life, this blessing is seen. And then Jesus says, but it's not just that passage. It's 2 Kings chapter 5. You know, the other guy that you mix up with Elijah. It's that Elisha guy. And when the story's there, the people of God have, uh, have been invaded by Assyria. And then the story shifts and we find out that the general of Assyria's army is a guy named Naaman. Now you'd expect this story to be about how big of a monster Naaman was, which I'm sure they had all kinds of stories to legitimize that. But instead we narrow in and we see Naaman from a different perspective. Because in this story, Naaman isn't just a commander of the invading army. Naaman's a man with leprosy. Changes when we know people's stories sometimes, what we think and the compassion we can give. And Elisha has compassion to give. In fact, before Elisha shows up on the scene, there's a Jewish servant girl who's serving uh, this commander of the Assyrian army, probably been captured, probably been taken away from her family, and yet she still has the compassion to say, if you have leprosy, I know a guy who can help you. So why don't you go find Elisha? Uh, He's a prophet of the true God, the God that you just destroyed their nation. And, And so he goes to Elisha, and Elisha says, look, if you'll dip in the Jordan River seven times, you'll be cleansed. And it happens. He's healed. Elisha brings healing to this outsider. These are outsiders, these stories. They're foreigners. They're not us. They're them. But it turns out in this story that God loves them too. In fact, the whole reason God uh, created a nation with Abram and his descendants was to bless them. At least that's how things were supposed to go. But over and over again, we forget that, don't we? Israel forgot that. And and that's why Jesus nearly gets thrown off a cliff in his hometown. It's quite interesting if you think about it, right? The story before all this, Satan tries to throw Jesus off a cliff or get himself to do that. The top one of the temple. And now he's getting the church to do his business for him. And here's the secret I have to tell young people who are considering preaching and the generations to come when they come to me. Preaching has all kinds of blessings. But if you want to be liked, if you need to be liked, please consider another profession. If you choose to preach the message of Jesus, there's always a risk. Because all it takes to get yourself killed is to suggest that to a group of people that the people who they consider them might just be included within the grace of God. Everyone loves a young preacher until a young preacher gets up and boldly preaches that the grace of God is for them as well. For thousands of years, People have been creating gods for their tribe, for their family, for their nation, for their land. And and these gods were good for you and they were bad for them. But the God of Israel isn't like that. And here in the gospel of Luke, Israel gets this reminder and we get it as well as we read this story. I'd like to remind you of how good that news is for us who are in the room today. Because isn't it funny how we read these stories and we see ourselves and we draw ourselves inside the line as if we're the insiders who are just as offended? But in Luke 4, the people on the outside, the them in that moment is us. We're the Gentiles. We're the ones who are on the outside of the line. We're the ones that the Jews are wondering, do you really want to bless these odd people? You're the Gentiles, people. (laughs) You're the other. You're not the us. You're the them. We all are. And, And Jesus starts off his ministry willing to risk getting killed so that all of us could have a chance to be brought into this story. 
You know what's interesting about the passage that Jesus quotes in Isaiah, and part of the reason I think they're upset, is of where Jesus, where, where Jesus decides to read in Isaiah, where he picks up. It's in Isaiah 61. But what's more interesting is what he chooses, where he chooses to stop his reading. So I want to go back to Isaiah 61. I want to read this passage that he's reflecting back on, that he reads in his first sermon. It says this in Isaiah 61, verse 1 and following. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's where Jesus stops, but the rest says, and the day of vengeance of our God. He quotes Isaiah 6, 1, and 2a, leaving out the line they were all waiting to hear most. Instead of reading that, he picks up on the larger theme of Isaiah that there to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to us. And that's why they're mad enough to throw them off a cliff. Because the part of that verse they like best, Jesus refused to read. That's why they're mad enough to do this. And they're being oppressed by Rome. They've got lots of legitimate reasons not to like the Gentiles. The God who loves them, loves them as well. Even the ones that we define as them. God loves them too. And the book of Acts, in the sequel to the gospel of Luke, I think Luke is setting us up for what's going to happen with the early church. Because if you think about the first 15 chapters of Luke, this is the struggle that they're going to have to sort through. How do we include these Gentiles in a story that God's been writing with just Jewish people before? And it's a struggle along the way. The Holy Spirit has to show up. They have to have persecution to even grow out and start to share this message in Antioch and in places beyond. We always struggle with this, don't we? He's trying to prepare them to say, when Acts 2 comes along and you read that passage, it's not a mistake that all these people from all these nations have to go back home and share this message and spread the story. And it's not a mistake when the Ethiopian eunuch asks to be baptized and Philip decides to baptize him. And it's not a mistake when Peter's up on a roof and has a vision and then baptizes the centurion and his entire family. This has been the vision since Genesis 12. This has been the vision and the promise since Isaiah 61. This has always been the good news of the story of God is that those who are them, who are drawn outside the line, are invited into the story. There are hazards of every job. And this kind of preaching is is dangerous. It's dangerous then and it's dangerous now. And I might sneak out real quick after the sermon. But this is the message of the gospel since the very beginning that we forget. I want you to think back to a story that Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 25. It's a story uh, about the end of time, it seems like. Jesus is dividing sheep and goats. You remember this story? And we tend to think that we kind of know who's going to be in and out at the end. But the surprise of that story is everyone's surprised in that story, right? I mean, those who are left out are the goats. They're like, Jesus, when do we see you hungry and not feed you? When do we see you thirsty and not give you something to drink? And he says, when you didn't do it for the least of these, you you realize I was there with them and you didn't do it for me. But it's not just them who's surprised. The people who did the right thing and and, and actually feed Jesus, they're surprised too. Their, Their response is, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we, when did we provide for you when you were in prison? He says, whatever you did for those who are the least of these, you did for me. And that's the anointing that God gives through his spirit to Jesus. He says, I've come to give good news to the poor. I've come to set the oppressed free. I've come for all of those that you divide lines and want to make sure that they're on the them category. Unfortunately, we can't make that line. And thank God that's the case. Amen? Because none of us 
would ever be in this story if God hadn't have been willing to do that. All of us would have been on the outside of that line. And it makes me wonder, who are we to think that we can draw ourselves on the inside and change that narrative now? Maybe it's important that we go back and understand how outside we were and what God's done to bring us in. And maybe for all the thems in our lives, we need to be willing to share that same message and love them the way Jesus loved us. I know right now in this sermon, you may be thinking about some of those thems. Those people that we like to draw outside the line, some of those people that we're, we're just uncomfortable around. Most people we want to make sure don't ever walk in because it just makes it really difficult. I want to ask this week if you would spend time in this passage and ask those questions and pray that God would shape and change our hearts that we might invite any who we consider them to be a part of us and allow the Spirit's anointing that was allowed on Jesus to be poured into our lives so that we can be grace because we were once thems, weren't we? And God has made us a part of the family. I want you to know that if you're here this morning, we, we're so glad you're here. Maybe this morning you feel like you're one of those thems. You feel like you're on the outside. You don't feel like you fit. Or maybe you feel like all the stuff you've done in your life doesn't give you a place. You're welcome here. And all of us can raise our hands and say, we're, we're all sinners. That's, and the wages of sin is death. All of us deserve death for what we've done. We've made mistakes. But God, in his righteous judgment, in his mercy, in his grace, has given us all a chance to be a part of a family of God when we call Jesus Lord. So if you haven't made that decision yet, I want you to know, we want you to be a part of this family. Come and join us. Come and, 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 and join us. Some, some, some churches over the past, I think we've gotten this wrong. We, we say that people have got to believe and then they've got to behave and then they can belong. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, it's not how it worked. He allowed people to belong assuming the Spirit of God was going to work in their lives toward belief and behavior. And sometimes we think we've got to clean fish before we catch them. Cleaning fish is God's word. It's our job to love people into this kingdom and say, we were once thems. We want you to join us and be a part of this family too. Let's pray as we close this morning. God, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you so much for the message he came to bring, the way he lived it out authentically. There's just nothing about Jesus that embarrasses me. He's an incredible uh, picture of what it means to be fully human. And, And God, help us to see that in our own lives. But he is fully God as well. And we thank you for the power that he has and the way he handles scripture to show us its true intent. God, would you continue to soften our hard edges? Would you allow us to have the gratitude that comes from knowing that we who were once on the outside have been reconciled? We're now part of a family that continues to do that with others. God, help us to be that kind of church and that kind of people. And God, in the midst of the struggle of those of us who have thems in our lives, and we all do, we all do. God, would you give us the grace and mercy to walk in and love people and to hear their story and to call them on the road with us as we all follow Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. Make sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.